Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. We gave him a chance, and he relapsed. Uh, my, my wife wouldn't allow the kids to see him. One of the sons just totally broke him out of his life. Um, you had a shot. You had a chance. Come on, man. Mm-hmm. We're talking a chronic disease. The words of Jim Moore, a successful businessman who lost everything to a world of addiction. But yet God was not done with Jim, and this is the story of a miraculous comeback and healing. Welcome to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was a golden boy. All we can do right now is come together. Extreme domestic violence multiple rapes. This is Life Support, hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media, a co-sponsor of this program, and our goal, as always, is to use story to bring hope and healing. And now let's join the conversation with Pastor Paul. Welcome to Life Support. I'm so glad you're with us. What we do on this program is we tell stories to help you find a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ through suffering and trauma. And I'm very pleased to welcome back our special guest, Jim Moore, who also joined us last time with an amazing story. He's right now working in corrections engagement at Restoration Counseling and Community Services. And Jim, thanks a lot for coming back. Thank you for having me. So great to have you. And when we talked last time, you were talking a little bit about um, the life you led before Christ and how you called yourself a big shot or something like that. Well, yeah, a successful a career. successful career. And, 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 and arrogant <laughs> and prideful. That's a big shot. Well, part. a lot of us struggle with that. And yeah. then the roof caved in. Your, your son, uh, Tyler, went off to follow the Grateful Dead, and uh, you thought you had lost him to heroin, and your life began to spiral yeah. downward. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And so when you were spiraling downward, what were some of the things that began to happen in your life? And what was that descent like for you? What events took place during that period of time? Well, that would have been from about uh, around 1995. Okay, so I'm just getting the reference in my mind. So over the next five years, the first thing that happened is just this darkness in me, depression started coming up. And I was a public speaker, a consultant. Uh, that was part of, you know, the work that I did. And it just started slipping away. I, my motivation, my engagement with people in front of the room. And I was pretty much out of work before 2000. I mean, it, it just, my career had slipped away. We we're getting into financial crisis and my wife didn't know what to do with me. Kids, what's wrong with daddy? But I guess it would be if folks have ever known someone who's in a deep, dark depression. That's where I got by 2000. Then in 2001, I was struck with cancer, which just took the bottom out. I had a lot of my insides removed, still a 40%, you know, only a 40% chance of living. And, and then the crazy thing happened, Pastor Paul, where I lived but the first year, when's the next shoe going to drop? I, I would walk down the street with my wife, and neighbors would look out their window like dead man walking. Neighbors would cry when they saw me, like he's dying. 
And it, it just compounded the darkness. And that's when the self-medicating really kicked in. Some drinking, marijuana, engaging with people with, with cocaine. Uh, I'd, I'd kind of sneak off to do that. Uh, I didn't go to, I should have gone to seek medical and psychiatric help and got proper medication, but I didn't. I think I wanted to die. I wanted to die. And so a lot of us I've known, the people I knew in Teen Challenge, we wanted to die, and it was just slow suicide. Hmm. It's over. My life's done. I'm 55 years old at that time, 68 now, but at that time, I'm an old man. I'm never getting my career back. Uh, I, I think there was that unconscious death wish. I, and and so I died emotionally, intellectually, and uh, it hit a crisis about 2006, and, and that's when I sought out treatment, which was great for about 30 days, but most people don't know about 88% of the people who do a 30-day treatment relapse within 30 days. It, it's just, it's not an absolute science. Right now, multiple treatments years later, maybe a year, a teen challenge, your odds start going way up. But mm -hmm. after I failed treatment a couple of times, I said, see, <laughs> what are the proof do you need, you pathetic old man? And I just died and died and died until I said in the last show, it was my pastor, uh, Christ speaking through him, who suggested I check into Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. And after some resistance, I said, what, you got to lose more? <laughs> what do you got to lose? And I was pretty dark when I went to Teen Challenge. I was on they were on, having on suicide watch. You, you, you just, I, I think I was just so sad and, tra and mm -hmm. tragic and hunched over. Yeah. So. And tired, probably, just exhausted. Just and... absolutely exhausted. That's mm -hmm. a good point, because when you start detox, mm -hmm. you know, they, they start giving you some psych meds or something like that, but there's this really hard week or two. But then I didn't realize detox takes six to nine months with if it's cocaine, heroin, uh, long-term alcohol. And so sleepless nights, uh, irritable. I just thought I was just angry. But those are actually symptoms of detoxification. Mm. We just need to help people understand a lot more that – there, there's, there are things going on that we're, we're starting to understand. But I turned it all on me, Pastor. Mm -hmm. Proof, evidence, hopeless. But, you know, this is all those first couple months in Teen Challenge, and maybe I should leave. But it starts, we used to say you're marinating. You do the classes, yeah. you go on the choir trips, but you're just marinating in the Holy Spirit. So it was probably three or four months before... It just started lifting. Uh, the prison and the treatment program turned it for me into a monastery, which a year sabbatical. <laughs> you, know, you know, and, and that's just like Satan to be throwing out all that despair at you and all of that. It's hopeless. And yeah, I mean that's that's his game, right? Discouragement, hopelessness. Yeah, to get oh, you he, to believe there's no there's no hope for you. Yeah, we used to. I don't know how true it is, but. We used to feel we had a target on our back mm -hmm. from him. And I remember at church, people, you've seen the choir, and people get very emotional. But sometimes I, I would see it as pity. Oh, 
Yeah. Look at the poor, pathetic yeah. drug addicts. I understand. Mm -hmm. And cover their eyes. And mm -hmm. some of the testimonies can get a little overly dramatic mm -hmm. and all of that. And you, here's my first testimony. I, I, it wasn't even my turn. I was just so moved. I came and I took the bike. And I said, Pastor Terry, I got to say something. And I said, folks, we are not pitiful, pathetic drug addicts. And here's what hit me. We are Satan's failures. Hmm. That's what we I are, like Pastor that. Paul. That's a good term. The teen challenge is full of Satan's failures. Yeah. So you're right. Mm -hmm. He don't want to lose us. Mm -hmm. But if the Lord's with me, who can stand against me? And, and so that's why I think you see so many people, even if they struggle after teen challenge, uh, the vast majority of the people create that deep connection with Christ, a rope and a connection, uh, up, uh, like a like like protection because i i didn't relapse after teen challenge my son did a couple times but i saw he had a hold of that rope so he was no longer in that pit of that sand hole where the walls keep falling in the more you climb how do you get out of sand hole give me a rope yeah christ gave right. christ was the rope yeah and when you were um at teen challenge and you were being surrounded by uh these people that uh, you had never met before. How long did it take you to really feel comfortable that they really cared about you and you weren't some project that they were working on? Oh, you know, you just touched on one of the most detrimental things to the stigma of addiction. Pity, project, fix them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, those kind of attitudes, which are very, very counterproductive. I didn't feel that a lot in Teen Challenge. Because most of the folks, I mean, all the folks are passionate believer. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for Pastor Rich Sherber. Yeah. That's the spirit of it. And you are not drug addicts. You are holy sons and daughters of God. They, they so drive not just Christ, but that identity. And I think that's what's so powerful, Pastor, about Teen Challenge. Mm -hmm. That's not, I mean, I get the AA thing. My name's Jim. I'm an addict and all of that. But some of that stuff can reinforce it. You know, there's got to be a, a humility. But how about filthy rags? Yeah. We, we all are. Let's accept that. And that ain't me. I am me in Christ. But there's a different spirit in Teen Challenge than the other treatment programs I went to. I really felt fix-it workshops and good people in these treatment programs. But if it gets too clinical and too detached and the counselor can't, share what's going on with them. There's a sterility to it, if that's a word. Yeah, that no, I understand. You did not have a teen challenge. Ain't nothing like that at Teen Challenge. Well, it seems to me that the way you're wired, too, you don't want clinical. You, you want to go right to the heart. Yeah. And I now, think that's maybe why Teen Challenge spoke to you, is because it, did. it spoke to you, your soul. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you want to know why Teen Challenge is now the largest Christian Pacific uh, clinical program in the world? Because about that time, Teen Challenge started to do licensed programming. Mm -hmm. They started getting Christian counselors. Like, you know, you can go to a Christian counselor, and they're a trained clinician, but they come from Christ. And so Teen Challenge had resisted doing clinical treatment. We don't want to do another program that doesn't work. And some folks at Teen Challenge at that point said, you got to choose. Is it Jesus or the devil? Because 
clinical treatment, science is the devil. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. So here's the power of it. I experienced it, and I saw it in my 10 years in working at Teen Challenge. It's not clinical or faith-based. It's clinical and Jesus. Mm-hmm. One in one is three. And that's why Teen Challenge has gone from, I think, what, three or 400 clients to over 1,200 clients in any given time in the program, serving, I don't know the numbers exactly, but three, 4,000 people a year, sites and recognized around the world. In fact, they were just recognized as the third best place to work nonprofit in the United States. Well, good for them. Well, good for them. Well, it's good the real Jesus. deal. Yeah, it can, good you for know, Jesus. But it's that devotion to Jesus and the willingness to use science yeah. and clinical grounded in Christ. It, it's a remarkable model, really. What would you like people in church that aren't familiar with addiction to know about people that are struggling with addiction? We are not those people. Hmm. Those people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not always said maliciously, but those people. We are your sons and daughters, your father. No one in that church is more than one or step or two steps removed from addiction. Boy, so true. And I think the most powerful word I was thinking about before coming to talk with you, Pastor, is the word understanding. I wish people would understand more. And here's what I mean by that. Someone once told me a, a thing that when you fall in love romantically, what do you say? Oh, I found someone who understands me. Now, here's the other side. What do you say when you fall out of love? Oh, they don't understand me anymore. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so there's something powerful yeah. about understanding yeah. and love. I'm not sure mm-hmm. the relationship, but mm-hmm. I know that after my son had been through Teen Challenge and relapsed, my wife and my other three sons, his, they were his half-brothers, all turned on him. We gave him a chance. We gave him a chance, and he relapsed. Uh, my my wife wouldn't allow the kids to see him. One of the sons just totally wrote him out of his life. Um, you had a shot. You had a chance. Come on, man. Mm-hmm. We're talking a chronic disease, mm-hmm. self-induced. Yeah. But isn't lung cancer from smoking self-induced? Yes, it is. Isn't diabetes mm-hmm. when you get warned by your doctor to change your diet and you don't change? Not to put anything on those people, but it's, it's behaviorally induced chronic disease. And I think that's what addiction is. And, you know, I'm not saying a lot of people don't do it to the enjoyment, the pain reduction and all of that. But the thing that struck me, Pastor, in my experience is when you when you get from abusing to addiction, the experience is you go into a room and the door closes behind you and there are no doors and no windows. What did Paul say? Why do I do what I don't want to do? Yeah. And you're trapped mm-hmm. in that room and there's no way out. Mm-hmm. So to condemn someone, I mean, let's challenge people. Let's work with our kids, not get involved with drugs. Um, the earlier you can intervene, the better in an addiction before it gets fully entrenched. But these folks with chronic or intense addictions, come on, man, 
we, we got to understand it, not justify it, not give them money. Heck, hold them accountable. Uh, we have to be restorative and redemptive, though. And that's, we absolutely what, that's who Jesus is. We absolutely do. We'll be back to the conversation with Paul and Jim Moore in just a moment. Pastor Paul is hosting this program from a unique perspective, a survivor himself of family trauma, losing both a wife and a son. And that's what life support is all about, survivors in discussion with survivors. My name is Steve Johnson, Executive Director of Five Stone Media, and we are so pleased to be a co-sponsor of this program. For more about our work, log on to lifesupportresources.org. And now, back to Pastor Paul. I did a church consult one time, and this church was very proud of its Celebrate Recovery program, which is a Christian-based kind of AA. And, yeah, and it's, it's a program. wonderful program. But so we walk in Sunday to, you know, a church consult is where you help the pastor learn things about his church that he can improve and so forth. And hmm. I noticed all these, all these guys during the service, and they were kind of all standing off to the side in the back. And I, I said, well, who are those guys? Yeah. Well, those are the Celebrate Recovery guys. And I said, well, why are they by themselves back there? Well, they just, that's, that's where they are. And I thought, I said, but I thought you said they, in, they integrated into the church, but they hadn't. And that really came, that was a, a, a really stark picture for me about what you just said, yeah. that we're not those people. And, and Because they were being treated like and the, those And the people. pastor in the congregation can be very accepting and very loving, but that those people mindset causes it not to integrate. Mm-hmm. It's always an arm's distance, yeah. right? And even though you're there, it's, what's that old saying? You feel like a stranger in a strange land. And it's not just the congregation. It's that own that's their own sense of guilt and sure. shame. Yep. So you could be in a wonderful church where they embrace you and they get it and all yeah. of that, yeah. and you may still stand in the back. But you identified an indicator, a symptomatic indicator of what the problem is, what the challenge is in the church. Yes. So yes. you as a pastor can see that. I think more and more pastors, the more they try to serve the, these communities— uh, now, you, you throw in someone with a felony history or coming out of prison, now people are kind of scared, right? Mm-hmm. And even though a relatively small percentage of criminals are high-level criminogenic needs, hardcore, entrenched, most people that go to prison are low to moderate criminogenic needs. That's a science for assessing the disorder and how deeply it goes. But you're one of those people, and so I think... I remember I was speaking at this one church in a, in a Celebrate Recovery-like meeting, and I talked to the pastor and said, you know, I'm trying to embrace it, but, you know, I got young families here. Wow. And I'm pastoring mm-hmm. these young families. Mm-hmm. And, not, you know, and he had those very realistic thing. And what happens as we try to gain more people, young families into our church when they hear about we got all of those people? Yeah. So there's some... You know, let's be real about it. Yep. Let and let's be honest about it, and let's not be ashamed of that. We're we're fallible human beings. We've gotten caught in these, but I think the awareness pastor is raising. Uh, the opioid epidemic has caused people to look deep, more deeply into this. It's not just inner city people anymore. It's it's right up the road, Hopkins High School, Minnetonka yep. High School. It's in the community. Uh, I think we're slowly learning to understand 
I think we need to better understand. So tell me what you're working on now, because you've got some fascinating things going on in your life right now. Yeah, well, I had, once I retired from Teen Challenge, because I'd made a 10-year commitment, and I think went on for 11, 12 years, and I said, well, Medicare, you know. Sure. I got some Social Security. And so I started working in something called the R3 Collaborative, which faith-based resources for people recovering from addiction or reentry after incarceration. And and I started meeting not just your wannabe criminals from Teen Challenge, with all due respect, guys. If you got gun charges or hard charges or you're criminally violent, you can't go to Teen Challenge. You, you're not a fit mm-hmm. for the program. Mm-hmm. Well, I started doing volunteer work with Prison Fellowship in Lionel Lakes. I started getting guests on my show. And I started meeting people with what they would say, high-level criminogenic needs. And... Uh, Something shifted in me profoundly, and Pastor Dwight Anderson with Prison Mission Association was my co-host, and he'd been going into prisons with Bible studies for years. I, I discovered the prisoner, I guess, mm-hmm. and uh, it just opened up inside of me, and that's when I started getting more involved in prisons. Um, I then also started researching it and found out that there's actually a science be- behind assessing criminogenic needs. The DOC has been doing it for years, and it's an extremely powerful predictor of recidivism, right. reoffending, coming back. But from my experience in addiction, I said, wait a minute, this is substance for a treatment plan. I'm not a clinician, Pastor, but you look at that, it's obvious. It's a psychological disorder. So I found that in, treat- in prison, they do moral recognition therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, they're starting to explore trauma-informed care to get at not just changing your thinking, but you've got to change your heart. Yeah. And that's where Prison Fellowship, which is a faith-based program, came in. So not only did I fall in, fell in love with a prisoner, I discovered, <laughs> come on, man, there's a science here mm-hmm. that, that we can utilize. So I, a couple of years ago, oh, gosh, I got involved with an organization called Partners in Recovery, the R3 Collaborative, going to community action meetings in Ramsey and Hennepin County. And I became an advocate for therapeutically addressing criminogenic needs. Good for you. And that advocacy is basically what's led to my involvement with RCCS. Um, I go into corrections. And so, um, again, they're doing in the DOC. We're talking to county jails and workhouses about providing this therapy while folks are in prison. Because... It's not a three-week program. Yeah. It's not a three-month program. Most research is it takes three to five years to make substance of change from a chronic addiction. Let's get started. So I'm pretty excited about it. Well, you, you should be. And you're a story of redemption. And uh, I just want to tell you you're going to be an inspiration for many. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate you being here to share your story. And uh, I applaud you for your bravery in that. Oh, well, I, it was hard at first. But now— Pastor, there's no place I'd rather be right now. Oh. I've been waiting all day to come here <laughs> That's so to good. tell the story and to try to get out of the way and have him come through. I thought, I'll kind of close on this if we're getting to that point, but I thought life was going to be so boring after being sober. And, you know, I love Jesus. But, oh, those Christians are so boring. Yeah. And church is so boring. Yeah. What a lie from the pit of hell. Yeah. This has been, I've had an interesting life, nothing like the last 12, 13 years. 
the most vibrant, interesting, powerful, mysterious decade of my life. So, folks, uh, you ain't seen nothing yet. What a great way to end. Amen. All right. It's great to meet you. Thank you so much. You too, brother. All right. And, you know, you... I just want you to listen to what Jim just said because um, there is uh, a message coming from Satan that your life uh, has peaked, that there's nothing more for you, especially if you're a little bit older. Your best days are behind you. Those kind of lies come from the enemy. And what God is saying is, no, no, whatever time you have left is going to be more exciting than before because God is a God of tomorrow, not a God of yesterday. And so I think that that's such a great thing to keep in mind as we move through our lives. And I'm reminded of Psalm 86:11, where the psalmist just says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And as I talk with people like Jim, I see undivided hearts. I see people that are totally sold out to Christ because they've seen the gospel work inside of them. They know what it can do. They've seen it work in others, and it can work in your life too. So you're never beyond the reach of God, so don't ever give up. I'm so glad you've joined us on Life Support. I'm so thankful for our partners that allow us to do this program, Faith Radio, and you can see them at MyFaithRadio.com. I'm so thankful for Five Stone Media. That's where you can see a video version of this podcast at FiveStoneMedia.com. Check us out here at Ridgewood Church as well at MyRWC.org. And remember what Jim just said. These last years have been the most vibrant, wonderful of his life, and God has something around the corner for you as well. And so don't let Satan sell you that lie, and don't believe it. God loves you deeply. And we'll catch you next time right here on Life Support. Life Support is a co-production of Five Stone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. listening to this life support podcast these conversations are available because of listener support you can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com to avoid missing future editions of life support subscribe to the podcast today at itunes or your podcast player and thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support